Welcome to Truth Jihad Audiovisual. I'm Kevin Barrett, waging the all-out struggle for truth on the internet airwaves since 2006, bringing on great guests, people who call it the way they see it in an unusually fearless manner. It's unfortunate it's so unusual, but it is. And my guest today, David Robix, somebody I've had on a few times before who just wrote a really fearless and wonderful article, The Gaza Ghetto Uprising, which makes the same kind of points that I've been trying to make, only perhaps more eloquently, that we um, should give the Palestinians some credit. Uh, of course, that's completely heretical to say these days. Uh, and uh, But here we are. We haven't been lynched yet, and I don't see any drones coming out from outside the window. So we're going to talk about it. Hey, welcome, David. How's it going? Okay, Kevin. How are you? I'm well. Well, alhamdulillah. I'm alive and well and outside of the godforsaken U.S. of A., so it's a good day. That's a good day. That's a good place to be. Yeah. I, yeah I, Israel so I, just, yeah. Uh, they bombed a hospital just minutes ago. I heard uh, that. Yeah. I, I was, I just, I was looking for that on Al Jazeera, but then we started the show. So tell me about that. Well, Al Jazeera is reporting um, possibly 500 dead. Oh, my goodness. Medical staff, patients, children, refugees from other bombing. And this was in, the southern part of Gaza, if people aren't familiar with the geography, it's in the most southern city called Rafah, in, in, right near the Egyptian border. And this is the part of uh, Gaza on the other side of the uh, Gaza River or, or Wadi, a dry riverbed that divides north and south Gaza, like the main city of Gaza City in the north and then Panyunas in Rafah in the south. And the refugees... I mean, the Gazans, well, of course, most of whom are refugees from other, from 48, but the Gazan uh, population was told by the Israeli military to go to the south of the of the Gaza River, while in the entirety of Gaza is under constant bombardment by the Israelis, including convoys of refugees, which have been bombed and with scores killed, and then they in the southern part where the refugees were all told to go where they currently have no food or clean water to drink people are drinking salt water and they bombed the hospital and and they're digging uh, people out of the rubble who were uh, undergoing surgery and doctors and nurses and everybody Uh, the whole hospital was destroyed as well as a school next door Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh... It, it should surprise us. And I guess I think the truth about all this would surprise ordinary American Western people if they could get it straight. Um, but at this point, really, why they don't want him watching Al Jazeera. I mean, you know, if you're not watching Al Jazeera or some other um, you know, network that's actually covering this as the crazy emergency nightmare genocidal situation that it is. You know, then you really, you. I mean, the way that the Western media is covering this throughout, I mean, it's, it's so so reminiscent of the way that they all gathered together to do the same kind of coverage on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I mean, it's the same kind of uh, just totally over the top, except, except it's, you know, well, I mean, they're only virtually only talking about what happened in with the Hamas attack in, in southern Israel, which is you know, crazy, wild, you know, horrible, and very newsworthy uh, stuff. But the the complete destruction of 
of an area with 2.2 million people, most of whom are children or half of whom are children. It's just, this is just a, a footnote and constantly being referred to as, uh, you know, as um, airstrikes or as uh, pounding Gaza. The Israelis are pounding Gaza, you know, all these kinds of euphemisms, you know, nothing like the coverage of any time a, a civilian is killed in Ukraine by by Russian bombs or by Ukrainian air defenses that go the wrong direction or whatever. I mean, they're always, uh, it's always uh, right away talked about as a, as a war crime. And, and that's, that's not necessarily inappropriate, but here, of course, it's, uh, it's uh, never, you know, it's just uh, hounding. It's just uh, retaliation. It's always retaliation. Every story, of course, always begins with Hamas launched an attack. Every story, I mean, since Hamas's inception, it's always been like that. It's always the case. Israel's always retaliating. The United States, just like, is always the victim. I mean, all the wars we've ever been in, the biggest country in the world, the most powerful military, the richest country in the world, and somehow or another, you look at our history, according to the high school textbooks, and every time, every war we ever got into was because we were somehow a victim. Well, you know, the Israelis are like that, too. And they even draw oh, on the, the Jewish history of uh, of six thriving on victimhood, right? Every Jewish holiday is the same. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. Uh, and uh, so, the, and of course, if, if you, you know, believing that every conflict between the United States and anybody else has always been the fault of the other guy is a lot like believing the same thing about the Jewish tribe. And, you know, that's, but of course, you, if, you know, you, if you're anti, you're anti-American, if you say one and you're anti-Semitic, if you say the other, but I mean, to me, both are obviously true. I, I mean, I would say that, yeah, of course, of course, you're, you're uh, anti-Semitic for even speculating about anything like that. And, and, and then it's, it's, uh, the kind of environment we're in with uh, intellectual discourse these days is, is uh, you know, any kind of speculation of anything having to do with Jewish identity, Jewish history, uh, or any, you know, it's it's all just, uh, you know, taboo. And, and you know, I, I would say that um, from my uh, vantage point, all this kind of speculation, all of these explorations of history and identity are all valuable and, and, and worthwhile to do. Um, but um, I, I, and, and, but I would say, well, there's so many things that are so simple and so many things that are so complicated about this, this whole picture. But when we're talking about uh, the role, the specific role of, of Jewish history and Jewish identity in in the maintenance of the apartheid genocidal regime of Israel, um, I I would just say that one thing to bear in mind is, regardless of how relevant any of that uh, may be, because of course Israel calls itself the Jewish state and and is you know doing everything possible to use the history of of Jewish uh, oppression or uh, Jewish, uh, the way Jews have been used as scapegoats throughout history, all this stuff, use this as a, uh, you know, weaponize all that as a, as a tool for justifying uh, a occupying and annexing and someone else's land and killing them and driving them away and everything that's happened over the past 75 years. It's all used as a, as a justification for that. And that's all true. At the same time, it's also true that other settler colonial regimes that have been similarly genocidal, like the United States, 
has also uh, used this kind of religious and philosophical and historical justification these kinds of justifications not the same ones not the jewish ones but the uh, other christian uh, ones and uh, you know to the same effect uh, for the same sort of some purposes. of the same old testament influence by way of protestantism absolutely but yeah puritanism yeah absolutely and that's the thing right i mean that's to me that's um i think you know i mean to to some other people who are more focused on specific uh, areas of scholarship and i have no um I have nothing negative to say about anybody that focuses on specific areas of scholarship. This is what you do in academia. Um, but I think uh, I'm a big fan of global uh, history and global uh, perspective. And I, I think, you know, the role that um, Chinese minorities have played in many, other, many countries uh, historically over the past many hundreds of years, um, it has in, in many ways been similar to the role that Jewish minorities have played in Europe uh, over the over the similar course of history, and and these kinds of things are interesting and 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 worth uh, making comparisons. And I, but but in terms of the 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 genocidal intent of the state of Israel and the justifications for what they're doing and and the the connections with uh, Jewish victimhood that they're able to draw on to to foment an atmosphere of of uh you know, we must must protect all uh, ourselves and screw everybody else and and let's uh kill them all i mean that's all real and that's all happening and they're doing this uh, they, they justify their actions based on all sorts of things having to do with uh their with with specifically jewish history and the history of jewish oppression and all that it's also just worth pointing out that this is not unique to uh israel it's not unique to uh this particular form of Jewish centric settler colonialism. It is uh it is in other places like the United States, uh, you know, the 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 rationales have been different um but similar and have had the same kinds of consequences of mass slaughter and uh displacement and annexation, et cetera, of the indigenous people here and also of, of uh, the Mexicans and you know uh and and of course the uh, another thing I would like to say is the Israeli campaign of bombing that's going on right now in Gaza is genocidal. There, this is genocide. This is what genocide looks like when you carpet bomb an entire civilian area and you don't and you deprive them of water and food. This is what genocide looks like. People are confused about what genocide looks like. Look at the Gaza Strip right now. That's what it looks like. There's a lot of things that genocide can look like. It can also look like people with uh, knives uh, stabbing hundreds of thousands of other people, like in Rwanda. That's what another thing genocide can look like. But it doesn't all look the same, you know. Genocide, um, it, it doesn't have to have gas chambers in order to be genocide. The, I would also add that, you know, the reason why we think about genocide as being certain things and not other things is because of who won World War II and, and who... Um, made the trials you know they put the nazis on trial for certain forms of genocide that the nazis were doing that other people weren't doing but the form of genocide that all the big powers were all actively engaged in of aerial bombardment indiscriminate aerial bombardment of civilian areas which is what the united states did all over germany all over japan it's what Japan did all over Manchuria. 
It's what Germany did all over the UK, notwithstanding the fact that all of these different bombing campaigns also targeted a lot of military and, 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 and you know, industrial infrastructure uh, on all sides, you know, but all these bombing campaigns were also targeting civilian areas. In some cases, they didn't start out that way, but they all, within the course of the war, they all were bombing civilian uh, civilian areas in, in different countries and all committing horrible crimes against humanity through this process, which is a, a genocidal thing to do to a society. You're indiscriminately killing everybody in a society. That's that's with the intent of doing exactly that, with the intent of breaking the spirit of, of a people who you know are engaged in a popular uprising, in a people's war. And that that's true of the people, of, of the Palestinian people today, and that is also true of the British during the in the early 1940s. You know, I mean, this was a pop, you know, just to take a random example. Here's a population that believes in fighting the war they're fighting, uh, that it's a just war. And, uh, um, you know, by and large, you know, so, so, so then the enemy, whether we're talking about the Nazis bombing uh, the UK or the Israelis uh, bombing Gaza, uh, the enemy has to be uh you know, cowed into submission, uh, and the enemy is the people, and they know that, and that's exactly what the United States knew and did in in Vietnam. I mean, the Vietnamese people were the enemy, and they treated them as such. And now they're proposing that the Israelis do exactly what the U.S. did in in Vietnam, but they're using different terminology. The strategic hamlets. You remember the strategic hamlets in Vietnam, where, where yeah. they were bombing everywhere, and they forced some people to, you know, if you want to not be bombed and not be treated like the enemy, then you can live in these little villages next to the military bases. Right, and everybody outside that is fair game for Operation Phoenix, exactly. which was pretty genocidal itself. Uh, Every Operation Phoenix was totally genocidal. Yeah, anyone over the age, any anybody over the age of ten was was but, a victim. But, but wait a minute, David, we, we 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 could back up a second here and and say mm-hmm. that of all of these genocidal situations. Uh, one of the very worst is is what's happening in Gaza, given that in most of these, as Gilad Atzman has pointed out, with the other settler colonial regimes in places like uh, French Algeria, um, British Africa, East Africa, Southern Africa, uh, and then, of course, Afrikaner, South Africa, in these places, typically the settler regime didn't wasn't trying to completely expel or get rid of the natives. It was trying to sort of control and exploit them, but there was no effort to get rid of them. Whereas the Zionists are trying to completely obliterate the Palestinian people, just get rid of them. They don't want any of them, they'd be happiest if they were just all gone. Uh, and you know, Gilad Atzman says that that's one of the reasons that he sees this as a Jewish identity issue, or that there's a an aspect of a Jewish identity issue uh, beyond just garden variety settler colonialism. And it does seem to me that he might have a point with this just insane ferocity of one-sidedness that is way beyond where the U.S. was during Vietnam. You know, in Vietnam, in the Vietnam era, there was a, a certain discussion uh, among you know people who could, to some extent, see the other side of it. And uh, today, that's been demonized, and and particularly, you know, it seems to me the propaganda uh, has is it's much worse now. That is, you know, the, the reality of the uh, Operation Al-Aqsa Storm 
was one of really heroic Hamas fighters going after military targets and trying to take hot settler hot settlers hostage. But they weren't trying to mass murder the settlers. They were trying to take them hostage. The Israelis responded with overwhelming firepower, according to their doctrine, that hostages are a political liability. So they use overwhelming firepower to eliminate the hostage takers and the hostages. That's how most of those thousand plus Israeli, well, it wasn't that many, actually. It was probably fewer than that. The civilians died in Israel. And so the reality is that the the Israelis are, are the terrorists. They're the ones that are killing their own civilians. And Hamas is fighting a remarkably moral and restrained style of warfare. That's the truth. But the reality that what we're seeing in the media is the exact opposite. And that level of totally portraying, you know, black is white, uh, you know, truth is lies, freedom is slavery, and so on, is it seems is is far beyond anything that I can remember from the Vietnam era and even the you know the Central American wars and these other kinds of conflicts. So and I think Gilad Atzman's notion that there is some kind of peculiar aspect of Jewish identity politics that has played into this. It's also been responsible for all sorts of other uh, grossly one-sided views of conflicts involving Jews and versus non-Jews. Uh, that's it's a, a relevant factor here. I mean, I um, there's you, you you made a whole bunch of points there, and I have a lot to say about many of them. Um, but but starting with the more recent one. Um, I think uh, you know the, the people in the world here. Anybody out there who who's um, surprised by your take on the um, the uh, uh, asymmetric warfare, as they call it, that's going on here? Um, you know, people. You know, the the there's such a high likelihood that your uh, your your explanation for what happened in uh, southern Israel with the Hamas. Uh, attacks there is uh, much closer to the truth than what we're getting from the Western media. And I think uh, bottom line here is that, um, you know, the, 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 the trans, any, any capacity for, for uh, people and for, for the transmission of perspective on what happened coming from uh, Gaza, it has been extremely uh, curtailed uh, through the Israeli bombardment and other things. So, we're not getting uh we're not getting a uh a, any kind of a honest uh take on on what really all went down uh with the Hamas attack and people should uh not assume uh that that any of the western media or israeli media reports are accurate uh with any of the, and 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 it's it, it, in many cases their reports have been immediately disproven as as uh, as propaganda um, you know, in 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 cases where uh, there's been allegations of intentional killing of children or raping of women, the, there's been there's no evidence for that. And these and, and when these accusations have been made, it's been they've been made by completely unreliable um, actors who are, you know, part of the right wing settler movement and, and have no you know are not at all believable sources. Um, but in what you know, and uh, in terms of Hamas. Um, you know, uh, armed struggle over the course of the past, uh, you know, decades. Um, you know, of course, what they never report uh, in the in the media is when somebody, when suicide bombers are blowing up buses, um, 
there the, if you've ever been to israel this is how uh, the soldiers get around on buses you know so this is uh, which is you know and then this, there's collateral damage as we all know when when you're waging a war of any kind against you know the opponent so when there's a bunch of soldiers on a bus and you go on that bus and you blow yourself in the bus and the soldiers up uh, you're you know other people are going to die in, in that process and that's you know which is exactly how the israelis justify all the civilian deaths uh, that they say they're they're trying to blow up hamas's bunkers which just happen to be beneath 12-story apartment complexes full of civilians but they don't care about that you know because uh, that's collateral damage you know that's what you know that's what they say but the idea of uh killing lots of civilians is i would say one you know Clearly, once again, uh, regardless of uh, Gilad Atzman, I would argue uh, with him too if, if he were here. But uh, uh, it's not a um, it, it's it's not an accurate historical point to say that uh, there's anything unique about the genocidal intentions of uh, Israel against the Palestinians. And this is not to minimize uh, uh, what uh, the Israelis are doing, which has been a a process of driving the Palestinians <clears throat> off of their land over the course of 75 years. Um, but it hasn't been a, uh, uh, well, until now with uh, Gaza, it, it uh, you know, it's since the 48 anyway, it hasn't been this kind of process of, uh, of actually just, uh, you know, you know, large scale slaughter and uh, of, of an entire population in a matter of a week and, you know, the killing of thousands of people in a matter of a week and, and, well, uh, the, the previous yeah. sessions of mowing the lawn were more uh, killing maybe two thousand people in a week and a half. Uh, were, yeah, I mean, they were they were comparatively restrained. And what we're well, seeing, I mean, which which is not to say uh, you know comparatively is the key word here. But what we're seeing here is a is a genocidal slaughter. But it also uh, behooves uh, any of us, especially those of us who are from the United States, Kevin, to uh, have a little bit of. Uh, an honest take on uh, the history of U.S. imperialism, which which is every bit as genocidal as as what as these uh, folks, uh, what's going on uh, here in in Gaza, and you know the the uh, the policy of uh, settler colonial settler colonial policies that used uh, the um, uh, used refugees from Europe uh, to uh, enforce uh, th this policy of westward expansion and enrich the rich in this country uh, at the at the expense of the poor of every uh, race, uh, whether they were the white refugees forced to uh, move west in order to survive or those that they were displacing or those that the army was massacring. Or though, or the, or though the buffalo that the army was massacring in in order to starve people onto reservations and then starving them on the reservations, the history of genocide in the United States is uh, possibly not unparalleled, but it is certainly not exceeded by anyone else. In yeah, the there, world. Was a, there was a culture of violence there too that was beautifully uh, conveyed in Cormac McCarthy's novel Blood Meridian. Uh, mm. Which maybe is slightly cultural violence. Yeah, there in in the U.S. West, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that novel is is about the uh, period where the the Mexic Mexicans, uh, uh, Apache, Comanche, uh, Native Americans, and then these these white uh, settlers were uh, going at it, and and the death squad activity, uh, particularly by the the white settlers and these these crazy paramilitary bands of these settlers 
uh, was it's just off the charts in terms of the you know disgusting violence. Um, and I think that that really is an accurate depiction of a certain aspect of the settlement of the Americans. Okay, so it wasn't like it that is, yeah. everywhere and all, all the time. Still. No, not but the and uh, but also the uh, the the attitude of of uh, the um, U.S. Uh, regime against uh, around the uh, Vietnamese uh, people uh, and the Korean people and the Laotian and Cambodian. I mean, not, yeah, that cannot yeah. be overstated in terms of uh, the genocidal intent. And also, uh, I don't know of any there. I, I don't know of any bombing campaign in the history of bombing campaigns. I'm pretty sure there isn't one. Uh, that killed more people than uh, the U.S. killed in in the in the early '70s in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. Millions yeah. of people yeah. died. M tens of millions have continued to be injured and and uh, born uh, without legs and arms as a result of the Agent Orange. And uh, it's um mm -hmm. there there's uh, and, and, and no Korea, way to Korea was like that too actually. You know, Korea they, was like and, that too. The United States bombed dams and intentionally drowned tens of thousands of people at a time, including, you know, of course, half of whom were children. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess as U.S. Americans, we don't really have that much of a, a moral high ground uh, to be claiming that Israelis are somehow that different from us at our worst. That's true. Yeah. Um, and plus, we're the ones that are helping the Israelis do it. They would not yes. be there doing what they're doing if it weren't for uh, the U.S. taxpayer paying for it. So, yeah, I mean, That's I so much of, of the leadership of the Israeli uh, of Israel the population, but that so many of the most influential people in Israel are from New York anyway. And, um, and that's just obvious. You go there and, and that's they're Americans. Well, Bibi, are Bibi's from Philadelphia. Bibi's a Philadelphia furniture salesman who was promoted mm. to his level of incompetence, apparently, according to the Peter right. principle. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so what do we do about this other than just wait for the U.S. empire to crumble under the weight of its own idiocy and uh, and, and decadence? I mean, um, I, I, uh, and seriously, it's it's even before this Gaza thing. You know, I, I couldn't take it anymore, and that's why I'm in Morocco now. Uh, yeah. No, no, I really can't take it. <laughs> you know, me neither. But what I mean, what the United States has done with. Um, Israel and uh, in in so many other cases, but it's like I mean, and also like what the it reminds me so much of what the United States was doing uh, with the aiding with aiding Al Qaeda in uh, the 80s in Afghanistan, you know, um, in terms of like the Mujahideen in Afghanistan in the 80s. I mean, it was always the most uh, the most intolerant, wing nutty, misogynist, Islamist elements of the Mujahideen that got all the money and aid from the United States. No, I, 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 wouldn't, I, wouldn't lump, I wouldn't lump them. I wouldn't lump all those bad adjectives with Islamist. Uh you know that to me, no, yeah, that, that's a term not. that's a term is a pejorative term that is used to smear um Islamic activists. And I'm one of them. And I you know, the word Islamist, I don't think it really fits me particularly, uh, although I, I'm all in favor of preserving uh, Islamic civilization and having the Quran at the center of that civilization. Another reason I'm in Morocco. Uh, and, but I, I, I think you're not entirely wrong that the U.S. went out its way to cultivate people like Hectamiar, this uh, uh, kind yeah. of extremist warlord who's, yeah. Uh, yeah, to me, his pro the problem isn't so much his, his Islamic so-called fanaticism, no, no. as his thuggery, not his thuggery that. is the problem, not yeah. his Islam. I mean, the thuggery, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and the problem with, uh, for that matter, the problem with uh, Israel is not that that most of the pop or that a large 
a, a significant and very powerful minority of the population is Jewish. Um, the the you know it's it's not about their their religion, in my view. Uh, whether we're whichever religion we're talking about, I've never run into a religion that uh, causes all its adherents to be bad people. Uh, I don't think that exists. In and unfortunately, there's none of them make everybody good people at the same no, time either. But the, but you can justify a lot of things with religion, and and uh, you know, and this has been true of uh, groups like Islamic State and and Al Qaeda and anybody else. I mean, which is not to you know paint any group as just a as you know one always you fall of one same bunch of people but but, but david wait a minute i mean it, i would argue irreligion is even worse that is and and when you talk about islamic state and al-qaeda keep in mind the fact that according to all of the polls the highest they've ever been able to get in support for like al-qaeda i think was like 15 percent among muslims globally and i mean you, you pretty much the shaitan al-babillah could get that much so so al-qaeda and and uh, isis never enjoyed any significant support whatsoever from the global Muslim except to, except they get lots of support from certain countries with lots of weapons like the united states and Saudi exactly Arabia. right right so, yeah. so to me they're false flag groups to me that they, they they're both created by the west uh, Al Qaeda, it's well known that was Al Qaeda means CIA database, and uh, and the same thing basically Base. with Daesh. Daesh was created in the prison camps uh, run by Americans in Iraq, as is the mainstream admits. So, and the world Muslim population never had any use really for either group. Although, yeah, Osama gave a couple of good speeches, and you know, sounded like his heart was in the right place. But oops, uh, that they're totally acting counterproductively, advocating massacring civilians, and that's actually the the key. Hamas uh, has the support of almost near unanimous support in this region and very high support among Muslims globally. And the reason is it's viewed uh, rightly or wrongly, I think rightly, as a basically uh, a, a group that's pursuing a just cause that tries to follow uh, reasonable tactics uh, in terms of they're, yeah. they're, they're not out to kill. No, I, I agree. And people, yeah. I mean, people should never, people should never lump these uh, different, different groups together. Like the U S media does all the time. And like the Israelis do all the time. And the, the distinctions um, between, I mean, I know this is obvious to you living in Morocco and it's, it's also should be probably obvious to anybody watching from the middle East. Um, but for the benefit of uh, the American and European audiences that may not uh realize this the distinctions between in in every possible way between groups like hamas hezbollah and islamic state is like the difference between i don't know uh, you know the, i mean just pick pick anything that is vastly different from each other and there you go i mean there the, hamas is a popular organization with its roots in the population just as hezbollah is and um and they're also uh, very much involved with things like running schools and hospitals <laughs> and uh you know constructing housing and that sort of thing. But um, the point that I was making about <clears throat> the comparison between like U.S. policies in the, in the, with the Mujahideen <clears throat> and policies towards Israel is the U.S. is always backing the most extreme element of whatever it is they're backing, like whether it's the leadership with is in Israel. I mean, with the policy um, of, of constant military aid to Israel, uh, the net effect of the policy is always to back furthest our right uh, element of the Israeli population, uh, you know, in of the Israeli political establishment over the past uh, you know, 75 years, but especially over the past 50 years. You know, this has been uh, the situation always uh, with all the military aid. Uh, this this is going to always always give uh, you know, political 
cover and and support to the most uh, militaristic elements of the Israeli regime and will undermine anybody else in Israeli society uh, that wants to see real uh, something more real justice. Um, and and it's also, I think, very, very uh, worth pointing out that there are a lot of people in Israel, uh, a lot of Israeli Jews who are horrified with Israeli policies. I mean, you know, when I was there, I met lots of them. I mean, is the groups like Israel, I mean, I don't know about quantifying that. I also met a lot of horrible racists um, as well, but, uh, and, and they may be the majority of the population. No, well, they, know, David, but... they, they are the majority. Let's face it. The poll sh showed during uh, Operation Cast Lead that uh, I think it was something like 87% or something like that of the population of Israel supported it. And of course, the Arab Israelis didn't. So what that means is that it had essentially near unanimous support among Jewish Israelis. And they were, yeah, they were going up on hilltops and, you know, cheering and having barbecues as the white phosphorus came down and the bombs came down during cast lead. So let's face it, there's an overwhelming majority of genocidal people in Israel. Uh, and, and, you know, that doesn't mean they're bad people in every respect. Some of them are probably very nice people in many respects. But there's a sickness, a psychosis, a genocidal uh, mass formation psychosis, to borrow the COVID language, that's infected that nation. And something needs to be done about that. What I, I mean, there is it is a it is a psychosis, um, and and it, I eighty seven percent. I don't know, um, you know, that leaves Maybe a lot of people actually. It's not yeah. it's not near unanimous. I, I mean, but yeah, I, that's the kind of uh, percentages. I think this is the kind of mentality um, that can uh, be fostered in a in a society under all the right kinds of circumstances over enough time. And I think, you know, right being the wrong circumstances, but what we have here, you know, it is, it's like a Petri dish, you know, I mean, as any country is, um, but, but uh, it, this one is more of a Petri dish than, than many countries because it's such a product of, uh, of great power, um, you know, uh, I mean, it is such the result of the, of the division of, uh, the world after World War One, and and you know, which is not to say that all the problems are to be uh, reduced to that by any means, but the number of massive, massive problems, uh, genocides, um, you know, ethnic cleansing, uh, just wars, horrible things that have resulted from the division of the Ottoman Empire and the division of Africa by. Uh, the the European victors of World War One it could not possibly be overstated. It's yeah, I, I agree. I agree completely. Disaster. But there's that that other factor is that you know you you take a tribal group of people whose basis of tribal unity is the belief that we are God's chosen. The others who are not part of our tribe are sort of subhuman cattle who are always trying to kill us and destroy us and they've repeatedly tried to destroy us throughout history but we've always won let's eat uh and thrived and even become you know kind of a, an upper class in a sense and so you take that why do you say that? that i mean i i mean i would have to disagree with your assessment of i mean of of the jewish mindset if, if that's what you're talking about because yeah, i well, mean yeah. the, but, we well, didn't just win. let me finish the thought though which is that then you take that particular cultural group and you have it cross oceans to uh eliminate uh people in the heartland of monotheism where you know today we have about five 
billion, almost 5 billion monotheists in the world, of whom perhaps 12 million, a tiny, tiny fraction, are Jewish monotheists. So you have this holy land uh, that's holy to the 5 billion monotheists, and you take this tiny minority of monotheists with this peculiar cultural baggage about their relationship with the non-people out outsiders, people who are not part of their tribe, and you have this outrageous, you know, traveling thousands of miles across the seas to implant their own uh, ethnostate and usurp the sacred territory of the five billion monotheists uh, and commit genocide on the local population. I mean, that's just such an outrageous and extreme project being carried out by people with this peculiar mentality that you're guaranteed to have really extreme problems, which we're having now. Yeah, and, and what you're describing is also like, once again, um, the process of the genocidal colonization of uh, the United States. Except in, in the United States, a lot more people died, and uh, and it's a much, much, much bigger country. But, um, and, and that's and worth yeah, I don't, I don't, what you're describing. Exactly, I don't think that's quite right. I mean, you know, I mean you know, this is huge North American territory, and all of these people that could make a living out of this gigantic territory kind of separately came flooding into it. It's not quite the same thing as what happened in Palestine. The, when, no, I mean, the whole history of, of, this is also true of Israel and Palestine as well. If you're talking about like random people moving there who, you know, because they could get a visa from Russia and, and, and they want to live somewhere else. I mean, you know, there's most of the population of the United States today has nothing to do with an, um, and, and the colonization of the country, you know, uh, in the, in the 16th century, 17th century. But um, the, uh, the Puritans uh, were, were a, fanatical um, religious group that uh, did not allow, a, for example, a Catholic church wasn't built in Rhode Island for the first 200 years of uh, English settlement of Rhode Island. And that's not because it lacked uh, enough Catholics who wanted to go to mass. It's because um, the Puritans were so intolerant uh, that they had that being Catholic, uh, being Native American, or being uh, a Quaker, uh, in many cases, was grounds for execution under Puritan uh, rule in Massachusetts and New England. I mean, there's, um, you know, the, the this kind of religious-based bigotry and genocide is is once again not unique uh, to to uh, Jews, and and but the but the discourse about the whole um, chosen uh, people is very uh, interesting and, and and potentially all you know the, the, whole, the whole discourse within um you know about returning to israel i mean there's obviously so much uh, within you know if you've ever been to a temple if you have any kind of i mean my dad's jewish you know my background is is uh, i i i didn't grow up with religion but i've been to temple before for funerals and stuff like that and you know they're always talking about all these songs about returning to israel it's been part of the the sort of religious discourse for a very long time um, but as you know, people may know that the, the Zionist movement, um, which which be, the current the Zionist movement that about actually physically going to colonize uh, Palestine, um, became popular in I guess in Eastern Europe mainly in in the eighteen nineties, Central Eastern Europe, and then uh, it it wasn't I mean it didn't become popular it, be, it became a thing and and it never 
really developed, uh, even though the British, uh, under the um, under their you know mandate or whatever they called it after the sec after the First World War, they were in control of Palestinian land in Palestine and the as the Ottoman Empire was broken up by the European powers, they're the ones that were uh, colonizing uh, Palestine. The French had control in, in, in other places nearby. and But um, they uh, they started encouraging uh, Jews to move there and, and this, this uh, Zionist movement. But even with uh, British help, it, it wasn't that popular until the Nazi genocide. And also until at the that in the same time as the Nazi genocide was taking place, in which millions and millions of of uh, people, uh, Jews, communists, Russians, uh, so many people, uh, but but particularly massive numbers of Jews for being Jewish were killed by the Nazis, and uh, and this genocide was um, uh, the thing in combination with. Fascinatingly, and 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 really, uh, it can't be overemphasized how important this is. That the United States, which was the primary destination that most Jews who wanted to get out of Europe, who obviously wanted to get out of Europe, where they wanted to go, most Jews wanted to go to the United States, to New York, or to somewhere in the United States where they had lots of relatives, because there are already millions of Jews in New York, like my family. And um, they they were not able to do so. And why were they not able to do so? Because the United States had a law in place from 1921 until 1944, barred immigration to the United States of Central and Eastern Europeans and Southern Europeans. In Canada, they interned the Italians. In the United States, they interned the Japanese and Japanese Americans. Um, but 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 the Central and Eastern and Southern Europeans, including Jews of any of those areas were all considered to be um, genetically inferior and uh, gen and genetically um, uh, inclined towards rebellion, anarchism, communism, et cetera. And they were barred from entry in this country for that whole time. And so uh, up until 1944, which was a year after Sweden uh, started allowing um, Jewish refugees into Sweden in 1943, which which they did interestingly uh, with the encouragement from the Roosevelt uh, government, which at the time was still barring Central, Southern, and Eastern European immigration to the United States. So this, with this process in place of forcing Jews who wanted to get out of Europe uh, to have very few options of places to go. Palestine and South America being two of them. Lots of Jews went to South America, but uh, because they couldn't come to North America. But uh, so th this this process of the Nazi genocide and the encouragement from the Western powers by this in not allowing Jews to come in was all um, geared towards, or at least had the net effect of uh, building the popularity of the Zionist movement to the point where uh, you know by uh, 1947 or so, there was a very significant Jewish population in Palestine. But um, and, and, and of course, uh, that was probably partly all of this was in partly due to the power of the Zionist movement that was able to uh, pull various strings to see to it that uh, Jews would end up going to Israel. Didn't they? They even blew up a sh British ship that was taking uh, Jewish refugees to Madagascar because you know they said they're better, they're better dead than not coming here to to uh, Promised Land. 
Ben-Gurion said that, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he yeah, basically, yeah. and he's, he's on the public record, David Ben-Gurion said uh, something along the lines of, you know, no matter how many Jews need to die in order to, uh, you know, in order to give us what the power we need to form the state of Israel, you know, the price will have been worth it. I can't remember the quote, but it was yeah. some kind of shocking quote. Yeah, yeah. They, they, and of course, they're believed they, to have sunk, they sank a ship uh, carrying Moroccan Jews too later. I forget exactly when that was. I think it might have been like the uh, early 60s or something. Um, but there's a, a, a guy, a French Jewish Moroccan guy, Cohen, um, that's been on my show and wrote a book about that. So yeah, apparently they they needed a big PR splash to uh, get up, get sympathy and funding and uh, finish shipping out the Moroccan Jews. So they uh, they sank a ship and killed a few hundred Moroccan Jews and uh, finished evacuating them. And to this day, the Moroccan government actually, which unfortunately kind of went along with that <laughs> uh, due to the power of international Zionism, uh, the policy today in Morocco is that. Moroccan Jews in Israel are welcome to come back to Morocco and be Moroccans. And I, you know, I, so many people don't know that. You know, they, they, they think that Jews were chased out of Arab countries and sent to Israel by the Arabs, when in fact they were mostly terrorized out by uh, Zionists themselves. Mossad, they, they were, I've read about bombing campaigns that they engaged in in order to terrorize Jews in the Arab countries. Yeah, in Yemen. Make them and, think uh, that they were being... Iraq. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really a, a pretty crazy history. Uh, well, we've... And it's a crazy present, and we... And, and what Mossad is, you know, like, I just... You know, I think... Did, did I... And I don't remember if we talked about this before, um, but, um, you know, it's... A, it, it, a friend of mine was working in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, on uh, he had an office in a building in Hollywood, Florida. And have I told you about this before? I can't remember. I'm not but sure. It, I'm I'm sure Hollywood, Florida rings a bell as a town of significance to to you. If you yeah, that's well, Muhammad Ada, one of the Muhammad Adas was supposedly there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is um, this is where uh, this is this this involves Muhammad Atta. Because my friend um, was uh, with his IT office, was um, a, a smoker, and he and this, all the smokers, of course, this is in the United States, and even back then, uh, you went outside to smoke. Nobody was smoking indoors anymore, as people may or may not recall who are old enough to remember when <laughs> all that changed and people stopped smoking yeah, indoors. Yeah, I'm actually but, uh, old enough, yeah. Yeah, me too. And I, I'm really glad that people stopped smoking indoors. But um, so people have this outdoor smoking area and um, that included people in this building and this 10 story building that my friend had an office in and other nearby buildings, I think a couple other nearby buildings. So I can't remember if Mohammed Atta was actually I think he was working in another building and who knows what he was doing. But he was one of the people that hung out at the smoking area that my friend talked to and got to know a bit. And uh, then there in his building. There were uh, several different floors with different businesses in them, and on I, th I think it was on his floor there was all these uh, Israelis who had a moving company. They said, and um, for it wasn't whatever urban reason, moving systems by any chance was it? Oh, I, I should ask him. I don't remember. He, he didn't tell me the name of it, but yeah, he, yeah, he said they had, urban they, moving they systems. Is, they, yeah, that's the Mossad. Oh, front, so, 
that's the Mossad front that uh, the dancing Israelis worked for, the guys who were set up to film the towers before the planes hit and were wildly celebrating them and got arrested. And then sent same they, group. Yeah, same group, probably. Okay. Yeah. See, I haven't jumped down the rabbit hole uh, nearly as well as I should have. So I don't know a lot of these details. So maybe you can, I mean, I don't know if you can do something with this information <laughs> that's useful, but I think it's a fascinating, I don't know, and he doesn't know what to do with this information. Or, you know, he called the FBI, they never called him back, they were not interested. But, uh, you know, he, um, so there's this Israeli moving company in his in his building and they employ dozens of people. I can't remember, you know, a lot of people. And uh, he's an IT expert as well as a musician. And he has uh, he sees hundreds of thousands of dollars of computers being brought into the building. And he's wondering, like, hmm, interesting and moving company that needs that much equipment. That's kind of seems, you know, they got a fleet of trucks. How much how many computers do you need <laughs> to coordinate this little fleet of trucks? But uh, so. He notices this and then, you know, outside talking with the Israelis in the smoking section, you know, he asks them, you know, the kinds of questions you ask people that you're talking with in the smoking section, like, what do you do? You know, what do you do for work? You know, and then, you know, he'd talk to people they wouldn't know. They wouldn't remember. You know, they had their supervisor had to tell them we, we're in a, it's a moving company, you know, like he, they, <laughs> it was, they were so obviously, you know, doing a bad job of being intelligence agents, you know, and then here they're hanging out with Mohammed Atta. So what the hell is going on? They all know yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah. what's going on here. Well, of course, Mohammed Atta's pink haired stripper girlfriend, Amanda Keller, uh, said that Atta, quote unquote, was uh, fluent in Hebrew. And um, it's widely suspected among students of this case that the original Ada, who was a very, very shy and pious and extremely introverted uh, Egyptian architecture student in Germany, uh, was replaced or impersonated by uh, some Hebrew speaking, uh, along with other languages, individual uh, who was extremely extroverted, loud, boisterous, uh, had an limit limitless supplies of cocaine, loved gambling junkets, uh, was constantly gambling on Abramoff's casino boats, flying to Las Vegas to gamble, was a regular at the U.S. Uh, Army, uh, U.S. Officers Club at the local uh, military base, and then hung around the airstrips where, according to the official story, Atta learned to fly. Uh, however, he didn't actually take any flying lessons there because they weren't actually uh, flying schools. They were CIA drug import airstrips or somebody's drug import airships. A guy named Wally Hilliard, a fellow Wisconsinite, uh, flew his Learjet in there with the biggest load of heroin that was ever busted by the DIA, DEA in history. Shortly Is that before, Air America? At the same, at the same time. Uh, basically, Air yeah, basically Air America. The C I think the CIA then forced them to uh, give it back. So all, yeah, the, the, the whole thing sinks to high heaven. And then there's the anthrax part of it, which uh, I highly recommend this brand new Ron Unz article on anthrax reminding us about that second component of 9-11 anthrax. But it's, it's interesting when we bring all of this up I and mean, you and I have had this conversation before, you know, you were like an early uh, adopter of the notion that something was really askew with 9-11 and you put out a great song about it, American Reichstag fire, which uh, I still <laughs> respect. Uh, and then we've argued about it since then on the show, since I, I went all the way down the rabbit hole and you kind of only went part way down <laughs> Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> sounds about accurate. But, but the, ma the mass psychosis after 9-11 anthrax is very similar to the mass psychosis now. It's like basically, you know, kill all the Muslims, you know, kill all the Gazans. Uh, and isn't it interesting, Dave, yeah. that, that after, you know, th those Israeli, um, whatever they were, is the urban moving system guys who were arrested for wildly celebrating uh, the attacks of 9-11. And they've had thousands of dollars stuffed in their socks 
held for a month and a half, failed lie detectors. Uh, Chertoff then shipped them back to Israel where they went on television and bragged that they had only been, that they were only there to document the event. So apparently they, they didn't plant the explosives, but they admitted that they were there to document the event. Uh, so anyway, th th those guys, when they were arrested, what did they tell the police who arrested them? They said, we're not your problem. The Palestinians are your problem. And of course, yeah, right. the anthrax envelope said, death to America, death to Israel, Allah is great. Now, you could almost hear that in a thick Hebrew accent, right? Uh, mm. <laughs> so, uh, you, know, you know, this was when this this they were in New York. This is really bizarre. But um, I um, so I was in on September 11th. I was in Indiana at uh, my friend Robert's place. And um, and then I uh, all my gigs that I, I was going to go to Wisconsin soon after and all my gigs naturally enough somehow or another got canceled for the next week or two. So I figured I'd go home to New Haven, Connecticut, where I was living at the time, right? So next day on September 12th, I am driving across from uh, across the country from Indiana uh, to Connecticut. And I, and I guess it was that day, I think it was on the 12th, that I um, passed through Upper Manhattan on George Washington Bridge, saw the smoldering ruins in the distance of the Twin Towers, and then stops for gas at the first at the first um, service area in the state of Connecticut, uh, which is on I-95, which has been voted repeatedly by the Trucking Association of America as the ugliest stretch of highway in the United States and, and is well-deserved. But on at this service area, the, uh, getting gas, a guy approached me and my friend who, who I was traveling with and uh, asked, for a ride uh and he looked arab and i was not surprised to hear that he had been there at the service area for 24 hours and nobody wanted to give him a ride at, for, nobody hitchhikes on i-95 in connecticut anywhere near new york this is just not done i mean maybe in the 60s people did it but in my lifetime nobody hitchhikes on that highway you know it's just not done so i'm not surprised you know, whoever he was, nobody probably wanted to give him a ride, right? But, mm -hmm. but we did, you know, and um, and we gave him a ride, and then in the car discovered he was Israeli, and um, I asked him uh, who he thought had just done this uh, into the Twin Towers, and he said he didn't know who did it, but that the government had better. Uh, really look into this before they jump to any conclusions. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> From the horse's mouth. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he was a random Israeli hitchhiker on September 12th, 2001, just outside of New York City, or... Uh -huh. Uh-huh. Well, know. you know, if he if he was part of it, you'd think he would have found a better um uh, I'm pretty sure plan. he wasn't yeah. part of it. Yeah, I think I yeah, think yeah. he would have found a much better like walking, you know. Right, <laughs> you don't right, hang yeah. around the I mean, you can walk. You can walk. Right, right. Wow. Interesting stuff. <laughs> well, David, we've probably finished up our hour here. That's what, that might be a good place to leave it. Um, but it was a I, pleasure talking to you, Kevin. Likewise, David. Yeah, I appreciate your your uh, willingness to to call it the way you see it on these things. Uh, and this, you know, your your article comparing Gaza, you know, to the uh, the Warsaw Ghetto uprising, I think is is right. You know, it's very apt. And, you know, pointing out there's a genocide and that we should have some 
sympathy for the Palestinian resistance. I mean, it's, you know, you got to, you know, these right yeah. now, it's, it's a hard thing to say for a lot of people in America. Absolutely. Right? I mean, try to, if should I just talk on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, if you try to, if because not everybody knows about the Warsaw ghetto uprising, but you know, uh, on in in Warsaw, you know, after after the rest of the Jewish population of Warsaw had been exterminated, sent to death camps, camps, etc., and you had a remaining sixty sixty five thousand Jews who were all forced to live within a walled ghetto in Warsaw, and then the Jewish fighting organization formed amid the you know this this last dying you know half starved population of Jews, and you know what the first thing they did was kill huge numbers of other Jews, you know, and why did they do that? Because there were collaborators within the ghetto and they wanted to cleanse the ghetto to use kind of terminology we use all the time these days. So they're cleansing, you know, we're all cleansing everything. They were cleansing the ghetto of, of, uh, of informants. By the end of their campaign of killing informants and potential informants within the Warsaw ghetto, uh, according to some reports, they were the most feared uh, authority in the ghetto. And uh, and then by their own accounts, the Nazis had no idea what was going on inside the ghetto. They had no informants in there. And they were completely taken by surprise by the rebellion. So, and then um, during the course of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, at one point, they actually breached the walls of the ghetto, took the fight into the rest of city of Warsaw before the Nazis regrouped and forced them back into the ghetto's walls. There are so many parallels. It's just astounding. And then um, if there had been, just imagine if, I mean, this was all in Poland. What if this, ha what if this had been in Germany? What if there had been German civilians uh, to be taken hostage uh, among the Nazi soldiers who were firing at you? Uh, you know, would you would the would the Jewish fighting organization in 1943 have taken German hostages in the hopes of, you know, trading them for some kind of survival or food or something? You bet they would have, and they would have had every reason to. It would have been a perfectly reasonable response to trying not to be victims of genocide. I mean, it's um, yeah. So yeah, so you'd really you'd think that more uh, more Jewish folks would figure this out, and a fair number have. And we just I got uh, a lot heard, have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean there's the just United a big JVP demonstration. Yeah, just in, yeah. in DC, there have been a couple of big demonstrations. Yeah. Dozens of people got arrested a few days ago, and uh, then I heard from my friend Josh Middledorf that he was just there with Jewish Voices for Peace. I think yesterday at a whole new different demonstration as well that had a fairly yeah. good sized turnout. So uh, I just hope uh, and pray there will be more people making that connection. You know, if, if uh, in particular American yep. Jews could really uh, break with this genocidal Zionism, uh, that might be the well, best way to fix the situation. There was a poll I remember hearing about uh, not long ago that I think was pretty shocking to the Zionists, um, that 40 percent of American Jews consider Israel to be an apartheid state. Yeah, I think I saw that's that. A, and yeah. That's a yeah. lot. And then I mean, there was also I, I'm yeah. Yeah. Sorry I, I about think, the other 60%, but <laughs> right. Yeah. And what what was there? I think there was even some talk of some uh talk of genocide as well. Or I saw uh some like uh 
nowadays they're talking about it all the time. Yeah, yeah a lot of Jews yeah. are talking about the Israel being a genocidal regime, and and this is the you know the folks organizing the protests are are using the term genocide, um, and now um, you know there's more I think human rights organizations who are talking about genocide too. Now. No, you know, if Israel's blowing up hospitals and killing 500 people at a shot, I mean, how can you not say that? Well. Wow, it's yeah. uh, we're cursed to live in interesting times, and thank you for telling we the are. truth about them, David. Appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, hope to see people, in Morocco sometime, Kevin. Yeah, maybe come visit. Maybe we're, come visit. <laughs> yeah, we're working actually on a setup to bring people here, so hopefully you'll be on that list. Oh, great, we'll get you here. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much. God bless. Thank you, Kevin. Okay. You too. Yeah. Bye.